0: When I think about niching a business, there are some businesses where I scratch my head and go, huh, I never would've thought of that. And my next guest has one, and you're gonna want to hear this. Thanks for tuning in to the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. I'm Alan Berg, speaker, author, sales trainer, website reviewer, and business consultant to wedding and event businesses just like yours. These ideas apply to businesses, not just wedding and event businesses. And I want to help you sell more, profit more, convert more leads, and have more fun doing it in the process. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to another edition of the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. I am so glad to have my friend Holly Verbeck on for my series on niching. Holly, how are you today?
1: I'm just great. I'm so glad that we get to visit.
0: And we got to visit in person recently at the Cater Source Conference, which was special as well. After all, all the time, I'm not doing this. So, hey, Chef, Hey Chef is your business. What is Hey Chef?
1: Well, Hey Chef is a business that allows people to be a guest at their own party. We provide in-home entertaining that's personal, distinctive, and effortless. And we do that with our private chefs, bartenders, baristas, shoppers, and servers.
0: Okay. So this is somebody having a party at their house and they, they don't have to do anything. <laughs> you're you're going to take care of everything.
1: Yeah, we're sort of an on-call private chef for people who are on vacation, who okay. probably have a culinary staff and other domestic staff in their homes when they're at their primary residence. And when they come on vacation, they want to have that same level of in-home service. And so they call us to staff.
0: Okay. So this is people on vacation and you are in the Lake Tahoe area?
1: Mm-hmm. We're in okay. Truckee, Tahoe. So we serve... Uh-huh. All around Lake Tahoe, but it's a big lake, so primarily the North Shore and Truckee.
0: Okay, now you are not a chef.
1: That's correct, and <laughs> I have to tell people that all the time, and that's why they don't want me to plan their menus, and, and they're really glad for it because uh, I don't cook, and that muscle atrophied long ago um, when I met and married a chef.
0: Okay, so so you are. Hey, I'm not a chef, but I married a chef. So how does this happen? You're not a chef. Your husband's a chef. How did you come to this business? Because your husband, I'm sure, was being a chef and applying his skills, not doing this, right?
1: Right. Well, we actually met. We each were on solo kayak tours in Alaska. He was from New York. I was from California. And yes, I was with my boyfriend at the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, so when I met and married a chef, uh, what I realized was that so many chefs are overworked and underpaid and most chefs know more about cooking than they do about running a business and so i saw an opportunity there and and really the spark for the business came from uh the fact that when he was in new york he'd been a private chef for many years for a single family a notable family and every time they traveled he was their traveling chef they also had another full-time chef he and and Chef Brian worked together, and then my husband was traveling 180 days one year. Wow! And that really became like, wow, he's not making as much as he could, and I want to be at home. It was selfish too. I want to be at home. I want to raise children, start a family, and so what can I do that will really, you know, change the balance for us? How can I leave my corporate job?
0: <laughs> okay, so which is what I was going to ask next. So, what were you doing? When you married the chef?
1: <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. So, my background is in human resources and risk management. And I was in charge of all of the training and safety programs for uh, the largest employer here in town with almost 2,000 employees. Uh, the North Star Ski Resort is now owned by the Vail Corporation. And so, I moved to Truckee from my hometown of Los Angeles uh, to be their risk manager and human resources person.
0: Okay. So, you had the business background. And you said something very prescient, which is a lot of people like chefs and not just chefs. We have a lot of people listening who are photographers and videographers and bands and DJs and florists and uh, officiants and invitations and dresses and all this. And being good at that doesn't make you good at business. It's a completely different skill.
1: Same with electricity. the, The number of tradesmen that are really good at their trade but not so good at business.
0: Right. And it's a it's a self-awareness thing to understand that you got to a point in your business, and a lot of people do get to a point in their business, despite the fact that they don't have business skills. Because people keep asking them to do what it is that they do, right? They keep asking them to fix the pipes or take the pictures or play the music, but that doesn't still make you any good at business. Uh, yeah, and remember- they've got
1: money that's uncollected, and they've got... Right. Um, clients they've never invoiced and it's unbelievable the amount of money that's washing away from small businesses because they don't have the systems in place
0: and not charging enough you know a lot of people don't know what to charge because again people are paying you you you're, you have money in your pocket the bills are getting paid and you're not looking at the PL, you're not looking at the balance sheet you're not looking at At those things, and a lot of people, when you start talking about that, their eyes start rolling and their heads like, I don't want to know about that. Good, good. If you don't want to know about that, hire somebody who does. And you got lucky because you were married to the chef.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, he had the talent, I had the brains, or vice versa. You know, we both (laughs) would argue that we each, you know, bring something unique to the table, but we pair really well together. And that became the basis to grow into what we are now. Today, right. now we've got you know we're a seasonal business, so that's right. that's one of the problems that that we face. One of the opportunities that we face as a business. Uh, so, on any given season, we can have between thirty and seventy talented professionals that we can book in homes.
0: And what is your season? When does it run?
1: Well, we have about ten weeks between Fourth uh, of July. It's really between uh, Memorial Day and Labor Day. And then it's Christmas through
0: New Year's. Okay. And what do your people do during the off- those other times?
1: <laughs> well, so many of the people that live in our town love the seasonality of it. Okay. So we have people who are you know, ski instructors in the winter and they're tennis instructors in the summer. And everybody gets a three to four week break in between both seasons uh, to switch gears and, and switch out their gear. <laughs> so people are really unique in this town at pulling together a number of different talents to make things work. And uh, you know, some of our staff members, for instance, are individuals who uh, are teachers during the year and then they work with us during the summer. Or there's somebody who's a massage therapist who also does housekeeping, who also has a food and beverage background. Um, <laughs> so you know, people in Tahoe just pull it together.
0: Right. And uh, do what needs to get done. Right. But you saw the niche. So let's talk about the niche here. So you yeah, I've been doing go... the
1: same thing for, for, for 25 years. Right. <laughs> they they <And> keep changing.
0: <laughs> now, do you only do this in uh, in the Tahoe Truckee area?
1: Yeah, we do have a portion in our contract that's a take me with you clause. Uh, okay. So that if somebody says, oh, I love you so much. I want you to come with me when I'm going, uh, you know, to Spain, then then we have that covered for Um mm-hmm. And then we do have some clients, because they live remotely and come on vacation here, uh, that most, well, a large portion of the clientele that come to Tahoe are from the Bay Area, San Francisco. And so some San Francisco families would say, oh, I want to have a birthday party, but I want to have Chef So-and-so. And so so we've traveled back down to the Bay Area just to give them the experience that they've wanted. And
0: and we'll head out
1: to Reno's not a far. Uh,
0: that's the nearest city for us right and again if your people are coming in from san francisco i I always say to people if somebody says hey can you do this you say yes and tell them how much and let them decide And,
1: and, and i would add that too you know we we have a solid business model that knows how to make a profit no matter what situation we're in and so we have a customer that wants that and is willing to pay then we can make that happen
0: right and too many people uh and some of you listening will think, oh, gee, you know, that's a lot of money for that. And then you'll either not tell the customer, you just say, no, I, I can't do it. Or you'll say how much it is, but you'll say it almost apologizing, you know, oh, that's going to be, no, it's the customer's money. Let them decide. That's going to be you know, absolutely.
1: That's a great point because it, it. I still wrestle at times with putting out an estimate and seeing I don't know if you want me to talk numbers here, but if, you know, I put because it's not bragging, these are just right. some of the numbers I, I have in my business, but I'll put out an estimate and it causes me to pause because I don't live that way. You know, that's right. not, I wouldn't hire these services and spend that much money, but we're just putting a team into a home. I'm comfortable talking about this because it's listed. Um, they've mm-hmm. rented a home and the rental rate per week is 65,000 for the week.
0: Right. Right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm so they're, they're so they're not not exactly price sensitive, right? It, well, they're and, value and
1: you, sensitive, and they and right. they have and they do have a price associated with that. But if you can convey to your clientele the value and the results, and um, ask them what their expectations are in such a way that it builds trust and they understand they're calling the right company, then I know I'm reaching the right client, and they know they're reaching the right company.
0: Right. And and the thing with the niches, your business, my business, anybody who's got a a very narrow niche. I've been told that my niche is an inch wide and a mile deep because Mm -hmm. I can do what I do around the world. You have chosen your area, but you'll go if they want you to go to Spain or to San Francisco, whatever it is. You just have to have enough prospects to do business with during, in your case, during your season that, that you need there. You don't worry about the people that come to uh, Tahoe and stay in a hotel, come to Tahoe and are spending, you know, $2,000 on their rental for the week instead of $65,000. They're not your customer and you don't worry about them. You just want to make sure, and this is important when you pick a niche, you pick a niche that there are prospects and there are people and there are enough that will make your business profitable. That's what you need.
1: But I'll tell you, in the early years, because my husband and I each come to it with different talents, right? And in the early years, we almost always had an argument in the spring. It was like April or May, and I would panic and go, we don't have any bookings. The clients aren't here. We got this cheap catering gig. They want burritos, you know, for 150 (laughs) people. We should do it. And he would say, we can't do it. We're not going to be available for the clients when they call when they do ask and what we found that's unique about our niche is that and this could be a generalization but we found that the more discretionary income somebody has the more likely they are to have a compressed time frame for getting things done and mm-hmm. so we get phone calls from people who we just had an executive off-site call us they're renting and the whole team's coming up and. We've got all kinds of activities during the week. And one of the last things people think of is, well, how am I going to feed everyone? And Mm -hmm. and it never ceases to surprise me how quickly somebody will call and say, oh, and can you do this in five days? And, oh, can we make sure that we have florals, too? And we need rentals, too. And the rental trucks long ago filled up for for weddings on Saturdays. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So we have to get creative. But it wasn't... um, It came with time that I could stop worrying that we were turning down the wrong client and that we were confidently attracting the right clients and not having that FOMO, that fear of missing out.
0: Right. And I hope you heard what Holly just said. Turning down the wrong client gives you the bandwidth to do the right client. And especially knowing what you know, which is that you're getting this compressed timeline and these people aren't saying, oh, how much is it? They're saying, I need this in five days. Do it, right? that That's what they're doing. Um, in terms of the price, coming back to that, I remember having a conversation with this uh, florist in Ireland and she was doing weddings for people coming from the States, coming over to Ireland. And she's having this conversation through Facebook or email or whatever with this bride who wants a quote and she's telling her about what she wants. And this florist is just, wow, this is gonna be the biggest wedding I've ever done. And before she quoted the bride, she went to a group online and she put it out to her friends there and said, hey, before I give her this number, because this is the biggest number I've ever quoted, am I missing something here? Does this, you know, she's afraid, she was afraid to give her the number because it was so big. And her friends started coming back and said, well, do you need to hire more staff to get that done? Are you going to need a bigger truck? Do you have enough refrigeration to, to get that, right? Right. And it turned out the number wasn't big enough. It wasn't that it was too big. It wasn't big enough. And these are the things, if this is not what you normally do, it takes you out of what you do. Um, I remember turning down the best paying gig I ever would have had because I would have had to learn things that are not in my core. And if I was looking to get into that niche, and you could have more than one niche, I would have done it. But I wasn't looking to and all that prep time was taking me away from my customers and maybe having me turn down somebody.
1: And it's not enough to say, oh, this is a high number because, you know, you can put out, like you said, we put out an estimate for seventy five thousand dollars once. But you don't go like, oh, wow, we're making so much money. When you look at the expenses involved (laughs) in us executing that event, it was um, and this is a private in the home event. You know, I know catering gigs are put out for half a million dollars, for big, right. you know, giant events. So this is a smaller number until you put it in perspective that this was in a single private home. <laughs> right. Right. But, right. but the expenses of having a kitchen and a bar staffed 24 hours a day, mm. you know, 24 hours a day in case anybody awoke and wanted a drink. You know, th- those are so pretty- when you're
0: sleepwalking to the refrigerator, someone was there to open it for you. <laughs> you
1: might you might want a cocktail, and you might want to sit out on the water. And so, uh, yeah. you know, I I'm not the one to judge about what it is they want. I'm just so no. pleased there are people out there who have a very clear vision of what they want. And usually, they're entertaining people, and they want it effortless for their guests. Right. And I just am so certain that you've called the right company, and that we right. can provide that for you. And that you as an individual who are not even here in town calling me so that when you come on vacation, you can trust or an executive assistant calling Mm -hmm. me, you know, you're putting your reputation on the line by booking me for your clients. And so being able to communicate that uh, so that they know that we answer the phone, we return the phone calls, we're responsive, Mm -hmm. and we have trained staff. And that's one of the things that I think separates us from our competition is the training standards that we have for all of our staff. And so many businesses, as they're starting to grow, they're really a one-man show. You're really, solopreneurs own their own job for quite some time until you become a business owner. And, you know, early on, my husband set the standard. I think for different reasons. Uh, but he said, whenever I go out on a job, he said, you find a way to make sure it's staffed, but it's not going to be you. Basically, he said, I dated too many waitresses in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, we're not, we're not going to have that relationship. So uh, right. I don't go out to the homes unless I'm making an appearance, shaking hands, checking on my staff, that sort of thing. Uh, we've but, always, but that's no. also
0: important because you're not worried about being on a job. You are there to be accessible to the client and knowing your clientele, the phone rings, they want somebody to answer it, they send an email or a text, they want somebody to answer it. I remember um, a photography company early on when I w- it was talking over 25 years ago and the other photographers hated her because the owner did not shoot. Now she had been a photographer, but she did not shoot. And she ran the office, she ran the business, and she had photographers going out and shooting. And all of these solopreneur photographers were like, Oh, well, she's not even a photographer, she's not even out there. And she was making a whole lot more money than they were.
1: I've heard (laughs) it, and I have a couple comments to that too, because people have said you don't even cook. So yeah, but I'm the one here answering the phone and making sure that the uniform standards are kept up and the invoicing is done and The website is kept, you know, all that sort of stuff. But what's really important, I think, to my staff and then also to the customer is that I'm a layer in between that allows there to be that sacred social transaction when they're in their home without it being a financial transaction. So I handle the complaints, I handle the money, and I also have the opportunity to seed conversations with how hard we're working to earn a five-star review. and Would you let us know if we fall below five stars at any time so we can immediately fix it? And thank you so much for saying that compliment. Uh, I want to let you know uh, that our staff are working really hard to earn additional tips. So our, our staff are walking away with tips that often are double the wages I'm paying them. Right. And so we have a really loyal team. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that I'm not on the job and I hold a special role.
0: And that, that separation of powers over there, separation of roles is important. And the idea of it's it's always a transaction, right? They paid you to do something, but it's not transactional once it's being done. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I always get paid before I go and speak. There's that uncomfortable Here's the check, or where's the check, you know, uh, type of thing. And it happens occasionally, you know, and most of the time with my clients, I, I will go, I'm not even asking, and somebody hands me an envelope, you know, and I put it in my pocket. I don't even look at it. I put it in my pocket. I'm here to do the job. Let me do the job. So and
1: we've also delivered, we, you know, we've developed those service heart standards so that when our staff go into an event, you know, we've laid out the four stages of an event. It's um, the what you do when you arrive. What you do before service begins, the ballet of service, and what you do after service ends. And so there are specific things that we do so that no matter the menu, the venue, or the number of guests, our clients get the level of service that a reputation is built upon and um, that they expect by hiring service like ours. And that includes training our staff how to greet and enter a home so that trust is immediately elevated. You know, here's a um, uh, one of the hints is conspicuously to conspicuously wash your hands in their presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and then at the far end, how do you leave in such a way that gives them time to provide you a tip? I mean, like people need to be educated on how to do that. So then they're not just saying, oh, bye. See, ya, I'm leaving or <clears throat> you need to right. tip me now. <laughs> you, there's a very gracious way that you can give people enough time to allow them to leave their party come say goodbye to you and take care of their business should they wish to do so
0: i love the conspicuously washing your hands Uh, early on in COVID. i was saying to a lot of my venue clients it doesn't matter how clean your venue is it matters what they see Mm -hmm. and if you have someone standing at the door with a glove and a mask on opening the door for people that sends a signal that we are protecting you here we're right same thing with the bathrooms you know all, you know, having the paper towels, a lot of bathrooms got rid of the paper towels for environmental reasons. But then with the hand dryers, you have to open the door and there's no paper towel there. So bringing them back, having the pail over there, hand sanitizer all over the place, the perception of clean. I said, you could have had the robot that the operating rooms use to come in and UV blast everything in there. But if they didn't see it, it didn't happen. Right. And the other side of it is they just expect things to happen. And You don't get points for doing it right, you lose points for getting it wrong. They notice when you didn't do it right. Right. If you did it right, it happened and it was natural. Like you said, this is how it happens. But I wanna go back to something else there where you said that you're quoting these numbers, but you wouldn't hire somebody or pay somebody this amount of money to do it. And I I was doing a mastermind day one time and there was a woman sitting next to me that did high-end decorating and decor for events. And she said the same thing. She goes, I wouldn't pay my prices. <laughs> and I said, excuse me? And she said, I, I would never pay somebody to do what I do, right? And this kind of money to do what I do. I said, well, do your customers have a problem with it? She goes, oh, no, they don't. But I would never do that. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking, like, if we went to the Rolls-Royce dealership, there's somebody there selling Rolls-Royces, and I don't think they own a new Rolls-Royce, right? Probably not. <laughs> right. But when they tell someone that it's $458,000 or whatever it is for this, or uh, what was I looking at in the paper the other day? Oh, there was a new, it was a Ferrari and it started at 500, but price as tested was $660,000, right? <laughs> and the person selling that car has to say that to someone with a straight face. And matter of factly this is how much it is and ask for the sale because it, it's just a number. It's yeah. just the fact that there's more commas and zeros <laughs> than it is for, for some of the rest of us when we're buying a car. Well,
1: and, and, and whether that's the number or not, you know, I like to share that you know, for years we were in business, my husband and I, and my son who's now 22. So we can all do the math. He was 13 and we were having a special birthday party for him. And we wanted to be present at the birthday party. And I said, you know what, honey, I think I'm going to hire our staff. Like that's not it, normally we know how to throw a party we, we know how to do that and right. we normally spend that kind of money but we had people coming from out of town I wanted to be present for pictures and and all of that we hired staff the evening ended and the typical thing that happens for people in their homes after they throw a party is they close the door behind the last guest they turn around and they look and they go oh. And they do this balance of, should I clean this up tonight or should I clean it up tomorrow? Right. And what we've always said is that we give our clients this experience of turning around and looking and the lights are dimmed and the sink has been wiped out and the faucets been centered. These are the small things that right. they don't add any different flavor to the food that you cook. Chicken, I believe is chicken. There's a lot of good chicken out there and we're <laughs> cooking chicken for a lot of clients. But what we end up doing is wiping down the sink, centering the faucet, dimming the lights and returning their kitchen to the look that they got on paper when it was designed by their architect and their Mm -hmm. designer. And that's the way they want to see their kitchen at the end of the night. And then they've got this beautiful monogram dish towel from our company with a thank you note on the counter in this conspicuous place. And they go, oh, that was really nice. I get to go to bed now, and they put the last remaining wine glass on the counter, and they walk away. Well, it's amazing having Hay Chef here. And it was that night, and we'd already been running the business for a number of years, uh, easily 10 or more years, before I hired our own staff for that birthday party. And we closed the door and looked at one another and said, oh, now I get it. <laughs> And and we have never thrown a party since, right, Mm -hmm. where we haven't hired some of our servers to come and make it easy so that we can truly be present.
0: Right. And understand the value of what you do from their side. And again, it's up to the customer to decide. It's really hard because most of us don't get that opportunity to be a customer for our own business. Um, The the closest I had, I was uh, speaking in Philadelphia one time and My son was going to Temple University and I said, hey, why don't you come? It was an event for The Knot and I had him bring a couple of friends. I said, hey, free food, you know, come on. And I I brought them in and I spoke and I I saw my son afterwards because he had never seen me doing what I do. Uh, And I said, so, you know, how was it? You know, what did you think? He goes, "Um, you know, I wasn't interested in what you were talking about, but I found myself wanting to listen and I'm I thinking think this is a kid who's, who's heard me speaking for his entire life mm-hmm. and he clearly could have just been like oh that's dad over there but I was engaging him to want to listen to something that he really didn't even care about mm-hmm. and that gave him an appreciation for me and then my mm-hmm. other son same thing uh, I, I said what did you what did you think and uh it had his friends there and he goes, um, it was, yeah, it, w- it was good. And I said, what did your friends think? And I said, my friends think I have the coolest dad. I was like, score, hey, score. Hey, I know, right?
1: It means everything when <laughs> our kids compliment us.
0: Our kids' friends. It's like, you're, you're, yeah. you're, that's cool. It's like, there yeah. you go. So, so the idea we're talking about, again, about the niche. You know, the niche is finding something that there's a need, right? Because very few people can be Steve Jobs and, and create products that we didn't know we needed and then we can't live without. Most of us have to see a need and fill it, fill a need, solve a problem, right? Something like that. So again, this, this genesis of this, this seed for where this started, you had the talented chef, you had the business skills, but where, like, did somebody ask, I know, I know your husband was doing this in New York. Well, did he somebody was traveling, ask,
1: right? He, okay. he was traveling. And then when he was filling the blanks, he was painting and, um, So he would come, he didn't want to work in a restaurant anymore. He had this private client, he would travel, then he would come home, he'd fill the gaps with painting. And that's when we noticed an opportunity. You know, first, we noticed this problem that he was underpaid and he was traveling a lot. And we noticed this opportunity that he was cooking in homes. And we made this connection that if he's traveling with people who want a chef when they're traveling and he's painting in these homes, that people are traveling too i was like you know what i think we could start a business here and we can be the ones who stay and they can travel right, right. we can stay here in Truckee.
0: but they're already traveling that's the thing is they were already traveling to Truckee yeah. and to tahoe right and so you put the two and two together and say wait a minute the chef can go with the family or the family can come and have our chef
1: right
0: and and, yeah. and again it's seeing that need solving that problem um, and it, I, I don't think this is a, a price point thing either. Yes, your business is certainly a price point thing. But the idea of, of finding that niche is what do people need? What problem are you solving for them? And are they willing to pay for that problem to be solved for that? What, you know, what, whatever it is that you're bringing, the need was already there. And then in a the competitive way, you're also saying it's not just that we're going to cook you great food, the level of service and everything to that last detail which your clientele expect, right? they
1: That's really what separates us because I believe, and, and I say it all the time to chefs who I'm coaching, it's, it's, yeah. it's not about the chicken, you rubber guys. Rubber
0: chicken. For those of you that are listening on audio, Holly just held up a rubber chicken. <laughs>
1: yeah, because they, they just go, oh, it should be about my food. Actually, it's not, it's about your shoes and whether or not you have an appropriately hemmed pant that's pressed. And you know, we have a chef that works with us and. Um, we've named our child after him. And uh, so my husband and he are best friends. They both were private chefs in Manhattan. And when Chef Brian would go to work, he would arrive at the penthouse and come off the elevator in a three-piece suit carrying on a hanger his garment bag that had his chef jacket in it. Mm. And he would meet with the client. He would sit down. They'd talk about the day. And he would say, now let me go to work. And he would go and change. I mean, Mm -hmm. the most distinctive move, and it elevated the service that he was providing up to a level of professionalism that most chefs don't realize people are willing to pay more for your chicken if you're willing to present yourself as the consummate professional.
0: Right. That, that's, a, that's a great story because he also is then going to be treated differently by the client
1: Absolutely. because he
0: showed up in a three-piece suit and then changed into his chef clothing instead of showing up in a uniform, right, right. showing up like a blue-collar worker. He showed up not necessarily on par, but closer. Uh, okay. And again, you've seen me speak, Holly, I'm almost always in a suit and tie. If not, I'm in a jacket and tie, unless the client requests otherwise. Yeah. And that's important, too. Uh, If the client says to me, and I've had this, I I spoke in Texas one time, I had a sport jacket, pair of jeans and cowboy boots and a V-neck t-shirt underneath the sport jacket. And yeah, it it looked good. It just wasn't my normal look, but it was appropriate. And the client wanted that. I have had times where the client were like, you know, could you please not wear a jacket, not wear a tie?
1: And this may seem audacious, but we have clients who would ask us, to dress down because some of them are uncomfortable with the level of wealth they've attained and, 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 you know, want it to be more casual. And Mm -hmm. and so we've done a lot of educating our staff on the idea that just because you're in the home doesn't mean you're of the home and don't mistake them for saying, Hey, call me by my first name uh, as anything other than a gesture of wanting to feel as though, um, you know, a lot of our clients, I want you to think that I'm just like you. And and we are. I believe we're all equal in the eyes of God. Right. 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 But we're here to serve. And there's a level of professionalism that in order for us to serve in the way that we're known, uh, we can't break that. Uh, So they'll say, oh, don't wear shoes, for instance. We don't don't wear shoes in the house. Well, we've had to come up with shoe covers then. And I had to say to my clients, no, we can't honor that you know, wearing shoes is important in the job that we do. It's a safety issue, right. and and you may not be right. a match for me. It, you
0: know, right, right, and, I, and I'm sure match. I'm sure, like you said, some people treat you like, hey, you're here. Yes, you're helping out, but you're they treat you more warmly. And then some people, you are the staff, and you are here to do a job. And I'm sure your staff understands that. Um, I said this before. My wife and I like to vacation on Cape Cod, and as opposed to a place like the Hamptons. in in New York and the Hamptons are very pretentious and people put their money in your face and their cars and their houses and the way they dress and whatever. And in Cape Cod, there are people that are just as wealthy, but they're not showy. You might see a nice car, but you also might see an old beat up Jeep that they leave at their Cape house. And you just can't tell. They're just not pretentious. We can have a whole
1: conversation around that too, because I'll tell you, there are two words that every customer calls me, even the ones who are willing to pay top dollar for the services. They'll say, well, we just want it to be simple, and we just want it to be casual. Right. That's, I mean, that comes out of everybody's uh, mouth. You're on vacation, and you just want it to be simple, and you just want it to be casual. And, right. and I agree with that, that the way that we can achieve that for you is by us doing all the work. So right. you go ahead and wear flip-flops and shorts to the dinner table if you'd like. It's right. still going to be really awesome chicken, and we're still going to be really professional when we serve
0: so my dad doesn't have to wear his big boy pants.
1: Yeah, that's right. Big boy pants <laughs> are
0: optional. <laughs> which, which Holly heard on the uh, the niche I did with Neil Salta from uh, whether or Not Accessory. Right. She got a chuckle out of my dad having, my 91-year-old dad having to wear long pants sometimes, his big boy pants there. So. And
1: by the way, great podcast, Neil. And I Thank have you. already connected
0: because oh, she ships regionally
1: as well. And, and mm-hmm. uh, so nice that we can all connect in this way.
0: Yeah, again, great. But these are the idea of the niche. You don't even know something exists. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, how did I ever live without that? And that's the same thing here. So do you ever go outside this niche?
1: <laughs> we did once. <laughs> okay. it, was,
0: All right. it was
1: It was disastrous. You know, I'll tell you, we stepped outside our niche probably because of my ego, probably because uh-huh. of my agenda. I really had some ideas about you know, who I wanted to be in my community, you know, I'm a Rotary member, I really, there were things that I wanted to achieve in, in my status in our community. And so I thought the next thing for us to do was to get a commercial kitchen. And um, we found a commercial kitchen that we could take over the restaurant operations of it. And it was at the airport. And what was great about it was uh, that we could provide the, the on-flight catering uh, for our customers. So, it like on pencil, it worked really well. And um, we ended up, you know, in the first couple of months doing tens of thousands of dollars of in flight catering, and we could put our brochures in it and, and things like that. So, it, it looked like it would go well. But um, sadly, on the first day of snow, we picked up our Christmas tree. It was December 13th. I'll make the story short. But my baby daughter and I were in the car behind my husband. And my son, who were in the truck bringing him the Christmas tree, and I watched them get hit head-on um, mm-hmm. by an oncoming vehicle in the snow that had spun out. And what happened there was, uh, you know, two and a half years of eight times in the ER, uh, and and my husband had multiple surgeries, and my son broke his back, and like it was miserable. And yeah. that very first, like next day, I found myself in this restaurant, making sandwiches (laughs) to cover for a shift. And I went, holy cow, what did we do? You know, there I was that that first week, I think there were 11 doctor's appointments and it was, it was a downward spiral that was really tough. And it had us all in spots where we didn't belong. And we realized it, it was too big of a stretch and that we ought to stay exactly where we were and have, as you referred to Alan, that one, that, that inch wide, right. mile deep. Um, right. And we right. returned to that. And, um, and thankfully yeah. everyone recovered, but it was a very tough period of our lives. Yes. And we, and we uh, lost I, the restaurant. Okay.
0: I remember uh, speaking at wedding MBA one year, uh, to a group uh, specifically caterers venues. And I was doing a Q and a in the, in the big room, hundreds of people there. And, Um, I said, you know, what are you working on? What are you, what are you thinking about? And somebody said, well, I'm thinking about, I I have a venue and we're only open for events. And I'm thinking about adding a restaurant so that we can do business all week. And I said, now you can't see Holly's face if you're listening. (laughs) So I said, why? And they said, well, you know, because we're dark all week and this way we could bring in some money. I said, well, Have you thought about the fact that you also don't need food during the week? You don't need any staff during the week. You don't need to do any prep in case anybody shows up, right? You don't have to have any linens and all that, all these other things. You have expenses before you sell the first meal. And, you know, I'm not saying don't do it. What I'm saying is, did you look at all of that or are you looking at, oh, I could be selling, you know, dinner or lunch and dinner or breakfast, lunch and dinner during the week. Uh, and maybe you want to talk to some other people that have restaurants, restaurants in the area, see what the demand is and all that. And, you know, I actually got kudos from a bunch of people for not saying to the guy, hey, good for you.
1: Yeah, right. And I said, I'm not
0: telling you don't do it. I just want you to go with your eyes open and understand what is this. This is a separate business in the same building as your venue business.
1: Yeah. And I consider myself a business owner. But I think where I made that mistake there is thinking that that meant I could
0: run a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Restaurants. Restaurants are very, very different businesses. And yeah, we got
1: it handed to us.
0: (laughs) Well, but you learned. And that's the key with it is a a success. Uh, A good friend of mine, uh, uh, Bruce Hale, he said success is often an unintended consequence. All right. Failure is an unintended consequence. You didn't go into that business expecting it to fail. You go into the business expecting right. it to succeed. Uh, now you know what you didn't know. And and because you know that, you wouldn't do it again. <laughs> so, yeah, but
1: now I stay in my lane. I really stay in your lane. lane.
0: Right. And, and, you know, people, you can have more than one lane. You just have to be very clear on what those lanes are. Like there are people listening that do weddings. They do bar mitzvahs. They do quinceanera. They do corporate events. They do fundraisers. You can have each of those lanes uh, or you can choose some of those lanes or one of those lanes. It's up to you. And, you know, is there another lane for you? There are definitely people in the industry that have more than one lane. Some of them, it's their day job. They work somewhere else. Some of them, their day job is their business. I I have a client who's an accountant. Right. He's got an accounting business and they also own venues. Right. Right. Those are separate businesses. There is an overlap. Right. Because he does the accounting for his venues. But they're separate businesses and you have to treat them like separate businesses because they have to be fed and stoked and and you know, have to put the gas in the engines and uh, tanks of both of those there. So we could definitely be talking about this forever. So any last thoughts for anybody who's uh, either yeah, has a niche it, or thinking about it a niche?
1: just You know, anybody who's entrepreneurial, uh, there's a million good ideas, uh, you know, every month and it's where you put your time, where you put your energy and the amount of momentum that it takes to gather up is 't something that you want to walk away from and and diverge you know with, with a plan. Uh, but as you said with the two niches, I, I definitely have always wanted to give back more than just you know serving people with discretionary income and, and having a, what is essentially a staffing company. I don't consider myself a food and beverage company. I consider myself a staffing company. and uh, so many chefs have come to us and said, well, show me how it is that you run the business. Show me how to do what it is that you do so well. And right. so I've begun coaching chefs on how to build their business and how to put the systems in place to consistently exceed customer expectations. And so that is my second niche, and that's make your business cook. And so I offer consulting services to chefs who know more about cooking than they do about running their own business. And, uh, but that stays very clearly in what my lane is. I'm taking everything that we've done with a chef and simply giving these systems to other chefs so that they don't have to experiment and build them. And they can go out on their own and do what they love and get paid what they're worth.
0: And it's kind of what the, the book, The E-Myth, if people have read the book, The E-Myth, right? It's the systems there that are the business, the services, products you provide. Uh, that, that's Any business has those. But it's those systems that make it scalable. Uh, I have a client that has, like, I believe they're at a little over 50 venues now. And they do the same packages at every one of the venues. Pricing is different based upon geography. But like you said, chicken is chicken and steak is steak. and you know. But their system allows them to go into a new venue and then start it up and just know what they're going to do instead of, oh, gee, now what are we going to do here? And uh, that's important. So we'll put into the show notes both of those businesses. Uh, and it actually, I, I made a note at seven o'clock this morning about a conversation I had yesterday with someone about something similar to this. Uh, so an upcoming podcast, I don't know if it's going to go before this or after this, but an upcoming podcast is going to be about should you uh, learn it yourself or should you uh, hire somebody, right? Or, and there are different ways. So in this particular case with this client, he could either do it, and figure it out himself. He could take courses on how to do it or he could hire somebody to teach him, or he could hire somebody to do it for him, right? And those are different options. And you those have are to critical understand- critical
1: decisions based on right. where you are in your business
0: and, and right. how much
1: time you have and what your resources are.
0: Right, and that was the thing. Resources, money is tight, but I said, how fast do you wanna be up and running? Because if you go to figure it out yourself, it's gonna take you longer. If you take courses, you have to finish the course till you're ready. If you hire somebody to to do it for you, you're up and running faster, but then you still don't know how to do it, which is okay, because you may not want to know how to do it, right? Or you could hire somebody to do it and teach you at the same time so that you can then take over. And this is the the thought process, and I'm going to do another whole podcast. Oh,
1: that's great. And that's what I help chefs with across the nation is we've got this office here that's running. And I can show you in 30 days exactly what steps to do. I teach a rapid business launch 30-day program. And you will get more done as a chef in 30 days for your business than most chefs accomplish on their own in five years. Because I'll just show you, here's the exact steps that you take. And and just let's turn this business on.
0: And avoiding the pitfalls because then they're done that, understand what they are and and understand your client. And yeah, I love it. So uh, we could go on forever because I
1: I (laughs) enjoy Alan, not only talking with you, but learning from you. I follow your podcast. Uh, You know, I've hired you before and come to your classes. Love seeing you every time you speak.
0: Thank you. And you email me when you want to know what bourbon to serve at. That's right.
1: That's right. They asked for something special and I knew you were the guy with that answer.
0: I'm, I'm the bourbon concierge. So there we go. So Holly, I will put into the show notes, but the two different websites, Hey Chef and Your Other Business. What are those websites?
1: Well, our local business in Lake Tahoe is heychef.com. And if you're a chef who's looking to start and run your own business, you can reach out to me either way, but it's makeyourbusinesscook.com.
0: Makeyourbusinesscook.com and heychef.com. We'll put that into the show notes. Uh, That'll be there. Holly, thank you so much for joining me. Of all the places I've traveled, I have still yet to be to Lake Tahoe, either side. Um, so I, I do hope to get there one of these days soon and, uh, and, and see you on your turf.
1: Thanks, Alan.
0: Hi, it's Alan Berg. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wedding Business Solutions Podcast. You can find full transcripts on my website at podcast.alanberg.com. And if you have a suggestion for a topic for a new episode or even a guest, please let me know at alan.com.